It's the world's greatest super friends, Batman and Robin, Superman, Wonder Woman and Aquaman, the Wonder Twins, banded together to protect the universe from the forces of evil, the Super Friends. The Man of Scream. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest super friends. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 122 of the Man of Scream podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode I'm going to cover episodes 3 and 4 of the world's greatest super friends. This is the night the fall 1979 season, and specifically I'm going to cover the two episodes, Space Knight of Camelon and The Lord of Middle-Earth. Just as you can judge by the names of the episodes and some of the uh, wordplay, the first episode is going to be a very uh, heavy dealing with a King Arthur type scenario, and the second one is kind of Lord of the Rings-like. And you'll see as uh, this season kind of goes ahead and deals with a lot more folklore and things like that, and very much less uh, DC Comics villainy, although in uh, the episodes I covered last week, we did see a visit from Lex Luthor, but... This season, from just from what I've seen so far, is not nearly as good or as entertaining as the challenge of the Super Friends season was, but it, like many of these other seasons, they're very much of their own thing, and the format is going to change again when I get to the next season, and it's just so hard to believe that this is only an eight-episode season, so after I complete my coverage of these two episodes, I'm going to be halfway through the World's Greatest Super Friends, just uh, something to, to chew on there. But before I get into... Uh, this week's coverage, I have some feedback to address. This feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode 111. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Another fun episode here. Even if these aren't necessarily the greatest episodes of the Super Friends, they are fun. I particularly enjoyed Attack on Gorilla City because, as the DC proverb says, everything is better with monkeys. I realize gorillas are apes, not monkeys, but you get the idea. You wondered at one point if all the residents of Gorilla City were telepathic. I don't think they were. As I recall from the Flesh comics of this time, Grodd and Solovar were unusual because of their telepathy. All the gorillas were super intelligent, but I don't think most of them were telepathic. Swamp of the, of the Living Dead was interesting to me, because I had a completely different thought about this one. Early on, I really thought that the witch and the floaty head guy were actually super friends in disguise, trying to trick the Legion of Doom. It would have been a good plan, but maybe I was giving the super friends too much credit for proactively trying to defeat the Legion of Doom, rather than just wait for the trouble alert to let them know the bad guys are up to something. I guess that goes along with your comment that they seem to stand around looking bored rather than going out in force to deal with the Legion. They really should act, not just react. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, thank you, Dave, for writing in. I don't have a ton to add to Dave's comments. The uh, episodes covered in Man of Screen, uh, episode number 111, were kind of very uh, ordinary episodes. You know, Attack of Gorilla City was just that, and I do appreciate Dave's helping fill in the gaps of some of my uh, knowledge of Gorilla City from the Silver and Bronze Age. So thank you, Dave, for that. And, you know, The Swamp of the Living Dead was uh, interesting to me, because I believe that was the first episode in which, really, the Legion of Doom had scored a victory over the Super Friends, and then wound up having to free them because they couldn't handle the uh, situation they had uncorked. But 
I really do agree, though, with Dave's last comment. I really much prefer, like Dave, that the Super Friends act to uh, vanquish the uh, Legion of Doom and not just kind of sit around waiting for the trouble or to move the plot forward. And also, it is uh, several months at this point, but earlier in the mail today, and if you're a member of the Facebook group, you probably saw this when I posted it. I'm not entirely 100% sure when this episode is going to come out, but it will come out. And uh, I'm recording this on November 14th, and David sent me a a picture of... uh, I'm guessing this was the uh, Superman celebration in 2016. There's a picture of uh, three Jimmy Olsons. We have on the left uh, Michael Lands, who played Jimmy in the first season of Lois and Clark. Makad Brooks, who plays James, or as the uh, girls on Supergirl Radio would, would tell you, James the Grown Man Olsen. Although they haven't really used that phrase on the podcast in quite a while. At least that I remember. And uh, Mark McClure, who uh, played Jimmy in the four Christopher Reeve movies. So that's a really cool picture. It's in, in the Facebook group. If you just kind of scroll back to uh, November 14th, you'll see that. So thank you, Dave, for that. Thank you, Dave, for writing in. And I encourage just about any of you to write in manascreen at gmail.com or leave some comments on the uh, Facebook group. I look forward to hearing from you, especially now as I kind of get back into things after uh, my hiatus, which may or may not have been longer than I intended it to be. All right. So with that being said... I'm going to take a break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with my coverage of The Space Knights of Camelon. Hang around, folks. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure, got to give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? (laughs) Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. (laughs) Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. (laughs) Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. All right, welcome back, folks. I'm going to march right into my coverage of The Space Knights of Camelon. Original broadcast date was October 6, 1979, and our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. While on patrol in space, Superman spots a meteor about to collide with a planetoid. He stops it, but the meteor's radiation causes him amnesia, and he ends up crashing far away on the planet of Camelon. There he is found by rebels who decide he is the fabled Black Knight and have led them against King Arthur VII. Sorry if I frighten you. I... I don't know what happened. I beg forgiveness, sire. I knew not who thou wast. But who am I? Thou art one our legend hath said would come to help us overthrow the king. Thou art the Black Knight of Camelon. Have him lead them against King Arthur Seven. Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and the Wonder Twins track the radiation trail to Camelon, but when the Black Knight succeeds in taking over Camelon, they are captured. Your Black Knight isn't who you think he is. And as soon as he realizes it, your reign of terror will be over. Silence, traitors! Speaking out against the new king is punishable by death. But then again, 
Thou canst only die once. <laughs> Wonder Woman is able to send an emergency signal, and Batman and Robin respond in the Bat Rocket. Although nearly all captured again, Batman manages to find out how to cure Superman. What dost thou want of me? We want to know how the Black Knight arrived in Camelot. I I know nothing of such an event. Oh, we'll soon find out just how much you know. My magic lasso will compel you to tell the truth. Now tell us, how did the Black Knight arrive in Camelot? We found him at the edge of the forest. He lay unconscious. That's more like it. Lead the way. Holy craters. Superman must have been traveling thousands of miles per hour to make a dent like that. The radioactive meteor that Superman stopped must have blown him through space till he landed here. Then it's the strange radioactivity of these meteor particles that caused Superman to lose his memory. What canst thou stop him, Batman? I am not certain, Your Majesty. Given enough time, I may be able to reverse the effects. You'll have more than enough time in the Dungeon of Camelon. It's the Black Knight. <laughs> I said thou wouldst not be so lucky the next time we met. Charge! And the king is saved. Logan and his men have been taken care of, Your Majesty. I am in your debt, super friends. The wealth of my kingdom is at your disposal. Thank you, Arthur. But I think we're even after all the trouble I've caused you. Speaking of trouble, have you seen Gleek lately? Oh no! He's found a laser crossbow! Nice shot, Gleek! That's what I call a real bullseye! Oh, I mean monkey's eye! Alright, so obviously this episode is a reference to King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Kind of one of my uh, favorite stories in its uh, many incarnations. I, I'll watch or read just about anything uh, involving King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Superman is uh, suffering amnesia when he's crowned the Black Knight, which and uh, the Black Knight is uh, mentioned in uh, La Morte de Arthur, the tale of Sir Gar Gareth, as having been killed by Gareth when he was traveling to rescue Lioness. Now, also, Superman suffering from amnesia is not a new concept. We first encountered it in uh, the George Reeves episode, Panic in the Sky, that was part of the second season of uh, Black and White. It is up there in one of my uh, top ten episodes of that series. It may not be my favorite episode of the series. I still think my favorite episode of, of the series, uh, just in the amount of fun I have watching that, is probably Great Caesar's Ghost from season three, I think, three or four. That's a color uh, episode, but I uh, will definitely hold up Panic in the Sky, though, as the best anything that show has produced. You know, I love that episode. I love both episodes, but uh, sometimes there's a little bit of a gap between what you consider the best and what you consider a favorite. Just uh, some thing I wanted to point out there. And uh, interestingly enough, you're going to see the knights this episode carrying laser swords, which are shaped exactly like lightsabers from Star Wars. These particular episodes were two years removed from Star Wars and just about a year shy of, Empire, of The Empire Strikes Back, so the uh, Star Wars was definitely becoming part of the uh, cultural zeitgeist of the time. So, let's uh, dig into this episode, shall we? We've got a uh, planet that's pretty primitive, basically the equivalent of cavemen, and Superman is doing some interstellar patrols, and apparently Metropolis is not enough for him, so he encounters a meteor, but... And he goes and obviously tries to save the town, his own, or the planet, as only Superman can. And 
Of course, the meteor explodes when he makes contact with it, and it blows him into deep space. And it literally blows him into another solar system and brings him to Camelon, which is ruled by Arthur Seven. This particular episode is making no bones about its references to King Arthur here. It's obvious to the viewer that when Superman crashes down, he has no memory of who he is. And again, I mentioned before the trope of Superman becoming amnesiac after fighting off a meteor. It, like, it's something we've seen before, and it's a plotline we're going to see again on at least two occasions in the future. There's a Superboy episode, Superboy Lost, that's either... I want to say that's a season four episode. Maybe it's season three. It is definitely one of the Bureau of Extra Normal Matters episodes. And there's the episode All Shook Up, which is a season one episode of Lois and Clark. In that particular episode, Clark loses his memory there after confronting a meteor, too. So Superman runs afoul of these medieval guys on horseback, and one of them looks like, much like he ignites a lightsaber, and it's, and it's going to attack Superman. How a Hanna-Barbera got away with that without incurring the wrath of uh, George Lucas... And Lucasfilm Limited, I'll never know. Maybe uh, Lucas was just happy that, uh, I don't know. I just find it hard to believe that Hanna-Barbera could have gotten away with this. Of course, Lucasfilm wasn't the power then that it is now, so maybe that's a part of it. So there's one guy attacks Superman, and when and when he's invulnerable to the, to the lightsaber, and that makes him the Black Knight of Camelot, there must be some kind of prophecy involved here. And the legend says that he will help them overthrow King Arthur. Apparently, we're now seven generations into King Arthur. So we have a Superman who's not knowing who he is, and he's being co-opted. Again, something we see in comics quite a bit. The uh, the villains will never hesitate to take uh, advantage of, a, of an amnesiac Superman. I like the performance of Danny Dark here. When, when Superman's voice is usually bold and confident, he's projecting a measure of unsteadiness and uncertainty. This, this particular Superman is definitely confused and uh, can't figure out what's going on around him. Doesn't even know his name. I'd imagine it's hard to be sure of anything when you don't know what your own name is. So Wonder Woman and Aquaman go off to look for Superman, and the Wonder Twins kind of talk themselves into joining them. And uh, Wonder Woman very sternly allows them along as long as they stay out of the way. Wonder Woman must not have been paying very much attention. When have the Wonder Twins ever stayed out of the way? So this episode is going to be a search for Superman. And the group goes to the first planet we saw, and they're attacked by a caveman who throws a boulder at them. So Wonder Woman takes care of the boulder with the greatest of ease, basically with one punch. And then she catches the caveman with uh with her lasso. And when he says he doesn't know what's going on, Wonder Woman believes him. Aquaman finds some radiation reading, and Wonder Woman hopes that will lead them to Superman. And the radiation is just basically a plot device. It's a way to get the super friends from the planet they were at, the planet of the cavemen here, to Camelon, where Superman has crashed down. So here we... So, uh... Superman, as the Black Knight, is leading the charge on Camelon. Arthur Seven seems to have a magic view screen to show him what's going on. So we've got a little bit of a mixture between magic and uh, some kind of technology. And we've seen that before on certain cartoons. Thundercats comes to mind. as a, That's a show that kind of did its best to marry uh, the mystical and the, scientific, and the science fiction to uh, varying degrees of success in certain places. We have a decent action scene here as the Black Knight's men are taking on Arthur's men as they storm the kingdom. Super Friends isn't always known for its great action pieces, but this is a pretty good one here. You know, the action is easy to follow. There's plenty of it. I mean, it's not just the Super Friends throwing a punch. It's these two military forces are fighting each other. You know, I must say the animation is busy. It's not boring. You know, it does focus heavily on Superman, but I was engaged with just about all levels of the fight here, so... Tease this show a lot, but I will not hesitate to comment when I think something is well done. 
So, while they're tracing the radiation, Aquaman and Wonder Woman get a distress call from Arthur Seven. One of the things that I always have trouble wrapping my brain around in this show is, and this goes for previous seasons as well, is how the entire universe seems to be aware of the Super Friends, even people on faraway worlds who you wouldn't think have any contact with outside solar systems or other worlds. Obviously, I mean, because this is the show called the Super Friends, they have to be known to everybody, but I'd much rather see the Super Friends deal with threats on Earth. Even if the threats are coming from outer space, I much prefer them to be on Earth and not kind of gallivanting across the universe. Maybe that's the uh, quote-unquote post-crisis Guyami. I don't know. So eventually Wonder Woman and company reach the castle and they attack the rebels, going after Arthur, and this turns Superman's attention to them and he makes quick work of uh, the Super Friends and that's when they recognize him as Superman. The mask kind of comes off and Batman recognizes him. And they're captured, and they look like they're in pretty deep trouble, uh, tied up to these uh, to this big stone uh, with their hands bound above them and their feet bound below. So it looks like uh, they're about to be executed or something. And Wonder Woman uses her telepathy to activate the lasso and hit the Justice League communicator, which apparently has some super long range and can reach all the way to the Hall of Justice. And the only heroes left on Earth at this point, at least as far as the Super Friends are concerned, are Batman and Robin. And, of course, they're on their way. They're going to take off in the Bat Rocket ship. And now they're at Camelon. The entire Justice League is now at Camelon. You go to Camelon. He goes to Camelon. Everybody goes to Camelon. So, now he's going to storm the castle, and Batman uses a clever illusion to trick the guards into thinking they saw him. It looks like some kind of hologram that gets the guards going one way while Batman and Robin uh, sneak in behind. You know, kind of a, you know, some smart writing there. I like the writer showing uh, Batman's sneaky side which is really what I believe serves Batman the best sometimes. So they find Superman and discover him to be the Black Knight of Camelon. Apparently that means something to Batman, so he is uh, read up on King Arthur lore. And Batman and Robin, uh, they apparently also know Arthur Seven. Maybe they uh, they talk a lot, I don't know. But Batman and Robin recognize Arthur Seven, and Arthur Seven, apparently he knows the Super Friends. It's unclear how they know each other, but they do. So the King is free, and Superman is going to tax the people into submission, basically. The soldiers are taking everything these uh, poor peasants have, and uh, chickens, goats, doorways, beds, furniture. Ugh, these high taxes are killing the, the people, and no no wonder they're going to revolt. This whole taxing thing kind of reminds me of the old uh, Indiana Jones Chronicle episode, where th- this uh, chicken farmer basically says, it doesn't matter who's in charge to him because they just come and take his chickens. This is kind of what, what this scene made me think of. So, Arthur is outraged by this, and Batman says they have to change Superman back to himself. And I find it amusing that most of these guys on this planet talk in Shakespearean English, and I guess it's one way to differentiate them from uh, the characters speaking in modern English, but yeah, I guess it is what it is. They want to use something a little more formal for the king and his royal court, which, so, I guess that's acceptable. And Batman and Wonder Woman get one of the Black Knight's men to reveal that they found Superman in a crater, and that he didn't know who he was at the time, so... They took advantage of that, they kind of pumped them full of their legend, and off they went to take care of uh, King Arthur's castle. So, when the men catch up with the Super Friends investigating the meteor, which they assume took away Superman's memory, there's a nice little battle sequence, and the Justice League is having success, but Superman has not joined the fray. And here's the Gleek being useful as he sends a guard into the water. And the music is swelling as it's obvious that the Super Friends are taking control of the situation. We'll have some questionable use of music in the next episode. And Batman is uh, taking charge here. He's challenging the Black Knight to a joust, and he hopes that the meteor fragments that he stuffed in his lance will restore Superman's memory. And there's lots of suspense here, close-ups of the tips of the lances as they approach each other, and we're just kind of waiting to see what happens. 
It's kind of interesting that Batman is hoping that the kryptonite will restore Superman's memory because the kryptonite, at least in this episode, episode is drawn to be gold, which for those of you who are familiar with your varieties of kryptonite, is that red kryptonite will have an unpredictable effect on Superman at this time period. Now the uh, effect is a little bit more designed. But it is a success as the the Lance returns Superman to normal by the power of kryptonite, I guess. So with Superman restored, Arthur is restored to his natural throne and Superman is very apologetic, while Gleek shoots himself into a bullseye with a crossbow. That was a fun episode. Not really looking for major quality out of these programs, like I mentioned earlier. I'm just looking to have a good time for 20 or so minutes, and this episode definitely delivers that. By this point, I mentioned Panic in the Sky before, by this point that episode is about 30, uh, 35 years old, and this is already the third or so time that this plot line has been repeated. And like I mentioned, we will see more of this in the future. But it was a fun episode, and it ended too early, but, you know, don't they all. Next, I'm going to take a podcast promo break. And then I'll be back to talk about the Lord of Middle-Earth. Hang around, folks. Stay. What? Have you ever read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey, and I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called It All Comes Back Back to to Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It All Comes Back to Superman is part of the Fortress of BaileyTube podcasting network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Baileytude podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytude.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Lord of Middle-Earth. Original broadcast date was October 13th, 1979, and our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. While camping, Gleek and the Wonder Twins spot trolls fleeing a hillside hole. Gleek goes to get the Super Friends, and when the twins enter the tunnel, they are captured. The heroes find an evil sorcerer has taken over the Middle Kingdom. The sorcerer transforms the heroes into trolls without powers. The Troll King leads Batman, Wonder Woman, and Gleek in search of a magical ring. To get the ring, they face a man-eating cave, spider people, and a dragon. But the ring, when placed on a statue by Gleek, activates a power that banishes the sorcerer and returns the heroes to normal. You've saved Middle-earth, super friends, and rid us of Mel Havoc once and for all. How can we ever repay you? Don't thank us, Balderscam. Gleek's your real hero. But... Is the adventure just a dream of Gleek's? Come on, Gleek, wake up! You're snoring louder than an earthquake. You must have been having some dream. You can tell us about it in the morning, Gleek. We need some sleep.
I guess we'll find out. So, uh, the first thing we're going to see when this episode comes up is the Wonder Twins are taking a vacation. They're taking a vacation from superheroing in their superhero costumes. It makes a ton of sense. They're roasting hot dogs, and, uh, Gleek is roasting a banana. I don't want to venture a guess about how bad a roasted banana tastes. And Jaina is apparently full before even touching her hot dogs, so apparently there's some kind of disconnect between the episode script and animation. And here's a little troll with no shoes running through the campsite, and could this be the Super Friends version of the... The Hobbits? You know, Middle-Earth, just that name itself makes me think of Lord of the Rings, and Hobbits were the shoeless, kind, short folk who ran around and acted uh, pretty merry, no pun intended. But they were peaceful folk, and just leave it at that. So, Xan and Gleek go down into this cave, and they see something that scares Gleek, which is not surprising, uh, just about everything scares Gleek. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, Batman is making his cape invulnerable, and the animation represents that by showing it kind of sparkly. So Gleek guy will interrupt and play charades for a few minutes, and uh, while Robin doesn't get it, Batman figures it out. I guess the boy Wonder is not as good a charades player as uh, Bruce is, probably, and, and it's probably far less fun at parties. And then, when they're not figuring everything out, you know, Gleek is kind of showing his uh, impatience here, and he does the unthinkable. He tugs on Superman's cape. Anybody who knows anything knows you don't tug on Superman's cape. That is a no-no. So the Super Friends don't immediately see anything in the cave, but thanks to his hearing and other abilities, Superman determines that it's the Kingdom of Middle-Earth. So apparently he knows about this. It's not just whatever you find under the big hole in the tree. The uh, Super Friends don't immediately see anything in the cave. So here comes Superman to save the day as he's trying to free the trolls. He puts the slave driver in a mushroom and, uh... Literally, he uses his flight and puts the guy right into the mushroom. And they find that Dan and Jada have also been converted to trolls. And that's when our villain shows up. His name is Mal Havoc. And Superman gets really bold and goes after him, but the magic bolt just kind of throws Superman to the ground. Now I get Wonder Woman's turn, and she nets him with a lasso, but he turns it into a snake and kind of takes care of her that way. Now, for some reason, when Batman fails, the main Super Friends theme builds up. I don't know why, as it kind of makes you think they're succeeding when they're actually failing, but... Mal Havoc turns them into trolls as well. So, so much for the Super Friends. They're in the mines too, and they're slaves. And of course, being converted into trolls will make everybody's hair grow out of control. Even Wonder Woman's. It was long at first, but now it's even more shaggier. Their faces are longer and a little more droopy. The Super Friends are not as attractive as they were in their normal forms. Batman will point out that they have their devices, and that's when they meet the King of the Trolls, and he knows how to stop the Sorcerer if they have the courage. Come on, Robin. You can make it. Wait a minute. We may have lost our physical strength, but Wonder Woman and I still have our devices. But even if we could escape, how would we stop Mal Havoc? I may be able to help. Who are you? I am Baldiscan, King of the Trolls. If you have the power and courage, I know how to stop Mal Havoc. What do we have to do? These giant diamond chips will cut through our energy bands. We must hurry. It worked. Wonder Woman and I will go with Baldascan. We'll be back as soon as we can. Follow me. And this kind of tells me that clearly the King of the Trolls does not have the courage necessary to defeat Mal Havoc or to even challenge him. So their attempt to escape is met by the Sorcerer when Batman suddenly remembers that his cape can uh, reflect Mal Havoc's power. So, a lucky ricochet from Batman's cape opens the doorway, and the Super Friends kind of march into the cave. So, it looks like they're going to face the deadly tasks here, and the task will lead them to the Magic Ring of Gandor. 
Yeah, Gandor, which sounds awfully like uh, playing on the word Gandalf or even the word Gondor. Gandalf was the wizard in Lord of the Rings, for those of you who know the story, and Gondor was one of the main locations. It was the realm from which Boromir came from, and the realm that eventually, spoiler warning, Aragorn becomes king of in Return of the King. So, we're definitely playing on uh, words and places from Lord of the Rings, and like I mentioned, this episode with its Kingdom of Middle-Earth is very uh, reminiscent of Lord of the Rings, even if the plot is nowhere near what you would see in that. So back to the deadly test, and the first challenge is the Tunnel of the Giant Mouth, and uh, the tongue grabs Batman. Even reduced to a troll, Wonder Woman has maintained her fine roping abilities, and she pulled a tooth out of the uh, monster's mouth, and it causes a cave-in that the Super Friends will escape from. So, that's the first deadly task. But the worst is yet to come, because there are three tasks that remain. And now Mal Havoc is going to take Gal Batman and Wonder Woman's success on the Wonder Twins, and they're going into the Diamond Cage, which I guess is a uh, punishment. And this Diamond Cage is exactly what you would expect it to be. It is a cage made of diamond, uh, suspended over something that looks uh, like it could be very unpleasant for the Super Friends, maybe some lava or something. But while I guess the uh, substance can't penetrate the diamond, it would penetrate Zan and Jaina, which probably wouldn't be a bad thing. Anything that takes them off the table has got to be uh, highly encouraged. So now Batman and Wonder Woman are going to encounter the Cave of Roots, where they run into the spider people, and they get all webbed up, courtesy of the spider people. And here are some freaky-looking spider people, but they have six limbs. I guess the animators couldn't fit on the other two. I mean, spiders are arachnids. They tend to have eight legs, people. Did the animators forget that spiders are known to have eight legs? Not six? But these uh, spider people only have six legs. And uh, the Super Friends are going to get a bailout here as uh, giant snails show up. Because it's, we're going to have a snail ex machina. And these snails apparently have been friends with the trolls for a long time. So yay. And the super friends are going to ride the snails to their next objective. And there's not much notable dialogue in this episode. Just the talk just kind of moves the plot forward very quickly. As you notice by my lack of recordings for this episode, just a lot more is happening and it's being shown on the screen than it's actually being said. And that's a good thing. I'm always a big fan of sh- the show showing me what's going on and not telling me. And we're not even getting the heavy narration of what people are doing anymore. Just letting the animation on the screen kind of speak for itself, which I kind of like. So Mal Havoc is going to take care of business on his own now, and Batman and Wonder Woman are approaching the third task. They have now found the Magic Ring of Gandor at the top of some stairs. These stairs are kind of like the stairs of Carithungal. And then there's a dragon, not unlike Smog from The Hobbit. So Wonder Woman muzzles the dragon with her lasso, but even then, even with the dragon distracted, she still can't get to the Magic Ring. So... This is when Mal Havoc shows up. Batman is going to take advantage of this by using his fusion cape, and he kind of tricks Mal into freeing the dragon. And once the dragon is free of its captivity, it goes right after Mal Havoc. So it's possible that Mal Havoc has uh, trapped the dragon down here because it is unhappy with him. Well, anyway, this opening kind of gives Wonder Woman the chance to claim the ring, but this is not Lord of the Rings. This is Super Friends, and there's only one ring. There are not nine rings to men, seven to dwarfs, three to elves. There are ju- there's just uh the Ring of Gandor here. So uh, Batman is going to show an act of heroism by not abandoning uh, Boldus Scam. He's the king of the trolls, despite the fact that he seems to be spellbound by something Mal Havoc has done to him. And now Wonder Woman is going to try to put the ring on the statue. You know what they say. If you love it, put a ring on it, even if it's a very big, ugly statue in an underground cave somewhere. 
But Wonder Woman loses the ring after she's attacked by Mal Havoc, and it falls onto something which I can't identify immediately. So the ring was very simple, golden and round. Uh, one of my favorite jokes about Lord of the Rings is, is that it's the quest of nine men trying to destroy a wedding band, which is basically all the Ring of Power is. And even here, just kind of a golden circle, not very ornate. So I'm not necessarily sure what the uh, point of this ring is anyway. It is powerful. Now, just a quick uh, gaffe in one shot as uh, Batman is hanging from a ledge. He seems to have a back symbol on escape. And now we're going to find that everything is up to Gleek. So hopefully everybody has checked their life insurance policies. Make sure everything's up to date because if Gleek is your last hope of survival, you are in some serious trouble. And your friends and loved ones at home are going to need that insurance policy. Except for this time, because just as Mal Havoc is going to uh, destroy the Troll Kingdom, Gleek gets the ring on the statue, it destroys Mal Havoc, and makes him go away. And Gleek is the hero. Can you imagine that? So, as we get to our ending, Gleek is snoring and dreaming when he sees something run into the woods. That's what the uh, synopsis meant when it kind of wonders that if Gleek was dreaming the whole thing. Maybe Gleek was dreaming the whole thing, because Gleek turned out to be the hero of the episode, so maybe there's something to uh, the fact that Gleek dreamt of the events of this episode. You know, like, I guess if you want to believe that Gleek was dreaming here, then he was. If not, he's not. So, either way, he doesn't follow the shadow that he sees run into the woods because he doesn't want to find out if that adventure is real. Which, hey, if I were Gleek, I'd want that adventure to be real. Gleek was the hero. So, that pretty much takes care of that episode. You know, not bad. You know, I'd rather see DC villains than these trolls, but, you know, whatever it is what it is. Next time, I'm going to cover the next two episodes as I start to cover kind of the back half of the world's greatest super friends. I'm going to start with the universe of evil and finish up with terror at 20,000 fathoms. And as you've noticed, being that the content is shorter that I'm covering, these episodes are going to turn out to be much shorter as well. Not necessarily the full hour that Challenge of the Super Friends got. These episodes will probably clock in somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes. So, if uh, you have anything to add to the conversation, you feel like you want to weigh in, manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. So, until next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.